The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, baby. That's your cue to call in there, Drew Breezy. Get with the fucking up. program. Guns up, giddy up. Welcome to Failure to Stop, the number one show where police meet society and culture. Uh, super happy to be here. Got a new camera. Got a new microphone. I've uh, been in the studio for over an hour. Still don't have the lights right. It just got overtly, obviously, whatever the word is, darker in studio. I don't know why, but we're here, baby. If you're just tuning in for the first time, we do four shows a week. Monday, off the cuff. With He Big Daddy and Mike the Cop bringing you all the police-related news. Tuesday's Night Shift with the beautiful and audacious Andrea Uplate, who brings us all the true crime that we could ever want or need. Um, and then Wednesdays, I bring you all the news that you need to know other than what's in police news. So, like, talking about everything other than the job, basically. And then Friday's our case breakdown. Happy to be here with you, Drew. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us today. Again, Mike is out of town, but he'll be back next week. And we have a special guest next week, an FBI whistleblower. I don't know what he's going to blow. Um, obviously, it's a whistle. Name, is his last name Friend? <laughs> oh, I'm putting you on the spot, aren't I? Uh, and that was a genuine question, because there was a whistleblower by the with the last name of Friend. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. It's Halloween, baby. We want to wish everybody a happy Halloween. Speaking of Halloween, tonight's show, today's show, is brought to you by GhostBed. Sleep so good, it's scary. Ooh, head over to GhostBed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Get that 35%. Look, I think there's a 40% deal going right now for the holiday season for a spooktacular season. I don't know if they updated. I've heard that they have not updated the... Um, uh, promo code Wolfpack, and that's okay because you can still drop us in this customer survey. That's where you heard about GhostBed from was this beautiful show. Everybody's sleeping on a ghost bed these days. We're selling ghost beds left and right. They are, look, if you're a first responder and you're having a problem getting to bed at night, get you a ghost bed and then complain afterwards. See if that fixes it. Nobody wants to hear you bitch and complain about not being able to sleep until you've tried to sleep on a ghost, ghost bed. Today we're talking about confidential informants. And more specifically, the murder of Rachel Hoffman. And this is a story that's near and dear to your heart, Drew Breezy. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, this is one of those Uvalde stories. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean, um, obviously, because I'm supposed to be talking right now. Uh, this is a, a story where the cops can't win either way in this whole thing. So, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into this right off the bat, but Rachel Morningstar Hoffman was a student at the Florida State University, home in the Seminoles. I think somebody you may know may uh, have gone to that university, maybe at the same time as Matt. Uh-oh. But I, and I'm guessing, I'm only guessing. Just I wonder if my wife knew her. Um, I didn't go to college, but yeah. I know that I'm not a Seminole fan. Uh, I'm a Florida Gator fan. And anytime I try to get into any kind of sports or I mention any kind of college team, my wife will always stop me very quickly and go, hey, honey, real quick, where, what was your Amarada? Where did you go to college? Amarada. Right. Right. I'm what like, was your Amarada? I don't know. So, hey, what's, well, the, what's the word for it? Alma mater. What, what's, what is the um, – you were on the surf team in high school. I know this about you. Yeah. Pole vaulted. I was a pole vaulter. And you were a pole vaulter. <laughs> you were a pole on Friday nights for 30 bucks. That's why I became a cop, because <laughs> obviously I was bullied in high school. <laughs> right. Well, that's how you, that was your means of escape. Yeah. Either floating to the middle of the ocean, as you described it last week, or vaulting away from your yeah. bullies. But um, what was your team uh, mascot? Um, Panthers. My, the first high school I went through, uh, because I had to switch my last year or year, year and a half went to a brand new high school. But the first high school I started out with was Tim Tebow's school, uh, which was Alan D. Nice, and we were the Panthers. And then I went over to the Bears, finished up as a senior with the Bears, the Bartram Trail Bears. Mm. Let me go Love fix them. these lights really quick. Tell them about our Cincinnati trip. Oh, man. 
We are going to Cincinnati. It's going to be the first week of November, maybe the second week. It just depends on how you look at the calendar. And uh, because I'm not familiar with calendars, but I think we're going to be there Monday through Wednesday, which would be probably the 7th through the 9th. And uh, one more and I'm out of here podcast is who is hosting us. So they're Cincinnati based podcast. If you're not listening to them, shame on you. You should be listening to them. They are uh, three fellas. There's uh, an attorney, a radio guy, and a firefighter. And uh, they get together and uh, it's literally as it sounds. It's one more and I'm out of here. They broadcast from a, uh, a an establishment that serves alcohol and they just kind of turn the mics on and they get heated up and uh, drunk, liquored up and have it's a uh, good show. They have some good guests it's on. Great, it's a great show. I've listened to a few episodes and uh, they end pretty similarly. And uh, but it's a great show. So we're going to be going there. Um, I, I don't know if plans are cemented yet. I pretty sure we're going to do like a uh, an episode with them on Monday and then Tuesday. Uh, they're going to have Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller as their guest. And I don't know if we're contributing or not. I am Pitts will be there. Who, who, uh, in, oh, I am Pitts. Oh, hey, you know what? Look, this is this is what I like about Tansy um, since I've met him. He, he has forced me to read his upcoming novella. It's called uh, Pig Latin, a, a funny but true story. And I can't wait for the whole thing to become uh, to come out. But I've I, I had to read that as an assignment, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, or he would not like me then. He tells me we're going to Cincinnati. We're going to go talk to uh, I.M. Pitts. Um, Dexter Pitts is a uh, Louisville Metro police officer. I have a lot of respect for the Louisville Metro guys. Uh, I, I, I spent some time there at Southern Police Institute. But Dexter is also known for writing a book known as, if you can see it here, I.M. Pitts. Here's yeah, it's a great book, dude. It's such a good book. Okay, so here's Dexter. So I got to read this thing. Okay. It's a oh, good book, man. Like, uh, I know it. Is. I guarantee it's it. super sad, but it's super good too. Um, I enjoy right. the book. I can't wait to see Dexter. Can't wait to see all the boys from one more. And I'm out of here podcast. I think we're doing like a meetup Monday night and Tuesday. Yeah. Maybe not Monday. I don't know. But the, if you want to go, if you want to meet us in Cincinnati, you need to DM one of us, either Drew Breezy, Eric Tanzi official or failure to stop to DM us. And then we will give you the time and the address. We just don't want to put it out to the public. We just really want to know who's coming so that the bar knows how many people it needs to staff because it's a free event. Like nobody's getting charged to come here, but we also don't want to screw this bar over on a Tuesday night no. and have like 50 people, 60 people extra show up and they only have like three waiters uh, and waitresses. So if you're really serious about coming, DM me. I will send you the address and the time. We'll chat back and forth about... Um, kind of what's going to go down uh, just because Scheller is going to be there. Pitts is going to be there. There might be some other people there. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, Stuart Scheller wrote the book Crisis of Command. He's the dude that got arrested for calling out the Marine Corps, got sent to the old brig as a lieutenant colonel. I think it was all about the vaccination bullshit. And, uh, all no, it was about um, the uh, 13 Marines that died in the Afghanistan pullout. And he just right, said, look. Uh, when are when are other people going to start taking accountability, which fits right into what we're talking about today, to believe it or not? Ooh, before we get into that, though, let's check out some reviews. What? This one comes from... There's no way I can read this. Hold on one second. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There's so much information. Can you read it? Are you able to read it? I can't see it. I can it. read it, if you would like. Yeah, go ahead. Read that. It is a five-star review. Okay. Thank God. Uh, on October 23rd, which was five days ago, 2022, and it's from Ha 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 F. Deckham. And it says, spelling. real cops talking about real stuff. It says, I work in a very liberal state, the free country of Riverside, but I work in liberal county of San Diego for a non-sworn agency. Uh, and it's good to get a taste of normal speaking Americans. Uh, love the show because it's real cops talking about, oh, I'm sorry, because it's real cops talking without a filter, trying to be popular. They're not on a TikTok or anything like that. It's real talk about real cases. My two favorite shows are off the cuff because I used to listen to it back in the day and the breakdowns of recent events I 
highly recommend the show if you like law enforcement and if you like laid back conversation. How do you not like Night Shift? Night Shift's my favorite show. Oh, wait. And it said, P.S. Anytime Drew substitutes are my favorite days. Yeah, okay. that's so, that too. <laughs> Drew, um, the substitute teacher. The Patreon saint. Yeah. The, pa- <laughs> the Patreon saint of failure to stop. Yeah. All right, what's the next one? Let's see if I can read that one. Uh, five stars from. Oh, my gosh. Kev's famous chili. Ooh, I make a really mean chili. I make a really good chili. I I do like a little spinoff on Gallagher's uh, bison chili. It's really good. I make it in a cast iron thing. I use London broil, ooh, and uh, and 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 beef. So it's it's like a full meat chili. Cincinnati but, uh, is known for its chili, by the way. Cincinnati is. Yeah, they have a skyline really? chili there. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! We'll have to we'll have to do you have to take me out for chili that night. I, I mean, I don't I'm know sure. if it has fucking bison chili, but yeah. <laughs> take me to Wendy's and get me their Wendy's chili. Uh, <laughs> remember when Wendy's used to have like the chili and the loaded baked potato? Yes. What happened to that? Oh, I don't know. I used to Absolutely. murder that dude. Like it's yeah, I, they stopped selling health food, and they I just used to run. Rachel Hoffman that every fucking day. <laughs> um, no title needed. I don't need Blue Chew. Not because I don't have that much stress. Not because I'm young. Not because I have a ghost bed. Ooh. I don't need Blue Chew because I get to listen to Mike and Dave's sweet, supple voices talk about wooden dillies. And because I get to think of the underpaid producer get a colonoscopy, and that allows to pitch a tent that Shaquille O'Neal can stand straight up in. Wow. That's hot. And Wow. 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 Well, thank you guys for the reviews. Send us some more reviews. If you'd like to support the show, you can hit the like and subscribe button. You can join the paid membership. You can buy some merch at fairtostoppodcast.com or actually I think it's just fairtostop.com to be honest with you. Uh, you can support our sponsors like uh, iTarget, which I think our promo code goes live on Monday for iTarget. It's the laser target. They send you a bullet for your gun that has a laser so you can rack your gun. And you can shoot at these uh, eye boxes. For, it's it's super good training in your home. Um, it's it's kind of like dry fires to the next level. It times you, tells you where you hit on the target. You can set multiple targets around your house. So you can ping uh, ping those little things up and down. Um, and then we have some a couple of new paid subscribers. That's uh, pretty dope. Josh Irwin, um, new to the uh, to the paid membership. That gets you access every Saturday morning behind the scenes. Every Wednesday behind the scenes at eleven in the in the morning. Um, so you can talk to us back behind the scenes. Get you some other perks. Get you into our Discord. Um, which the Discord guys are going to get all the the benefits of my book. By the way, if you're in the paid Ooh. Discord, you guys are going to get some really cool books book stuff um from myself but anyway those are the ways that you can support the show dropping a review going to youtube liking and subscribing uh drew just did a nice anti-semitic well that's not a lot of that's, <laughs> didn't that's do the not. he did like, a I great just... video on kanye west who may or may not have been anti-semitic yeah i just discussed it yeah, he just yeah. discussed it. He wasn't being anti-Semitic. Right. You'll have to wait to the end to see if I'm anti-Semitic or not. Yeah. I, I So a, a Jewish friend of mine, uh, Matt, really good friend of mine, served in the military with him and everything. He called me to, because he's full-blown Jewish. Um, and so he went all in on me like, hey, dude, are you guys going to cover this whole anti-Semitic thing, blah, blah, blah. And he and I had like a good like hour-long debate on the phone about anti-Semitism in America, but he's super right-wing conservative and his argument about anti-Semitic rhetoric is almost the same rhetoric he had towards the BLM movement. So I said, like, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference in a conservative saying all the things that they say about the BLM movement, but if you say anything about the Jewish movements or stereotypes of Jews, all of a sudden, like, that's not a discussion we're allowed to have. I don't agree with that. Like, I I feel like the BLM people have an argument and the people who are anti-Jewish might have have an argument as well. So I think it's an argument worth having. Um, We made a lot. You know, I even called him out on some of his old social media posts. I said, hey, dude, you said this. You said that, you know, BLM, because like his whole page is just full of conservative 
uh, stuff. So I was just like reading some shit that he was saying. And I was like, all right. So like if I say, you know, all Jews are rich, you know, <laughs> and you're saying all BLM guys are this or that. I mean, what's what's the difference? You know, just when it's the tables, uh, the turntables have turned towards you. You don't don't like it. So it's definitely a discussion. Was having. I don't have a problem with any of them. To be honest with you. I like everybody. So I, I'm, and I, I wish guess. I had a good stereotype. I wish I had some of the stereotypes like I wish my stereotype was I like watermelon and fried chicken. That's fucking cool to me. I don't understand why that's such a bad thing or it's racist. I wish I was good with money. I wish that was my stereotype. I wish I had the stereotype of knowing math really well, but that's racist. My stereotypes. I'm just a toxic white male who's racist. Right. That's that my stereotype. Sexual. Like that sucks. Occasionally heterosexual white male. Yeah. Like I want a cool stereotype. My stereotype sucks. Everybody else's stereotypes like wine and they're like, let's racist. They said I like watermelon and fried chicken. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with that? What's wrong with that stereotype? This is easy the problem, easily the problem with identity politics. Like, why can't we all just be humans? I mean, I, I and and of course the answer I always get to that is, well, it's easy for you to say you're a white male. Like, <laughs> right. what, what do you do? I mean, I, I can't, you know, I can't. I guess I can convert to Judaism, but but that's a religion. It's not a culture. You know what I mean? It's just, um, I, I had. I'm not going to put all of his business on the streets, but I had a very interesting uh, kind of quasi conversation with of all people, lumber chef about this oh. uh, topic. And, uh, he's he a Jewish? Very young man. I don't know if he's Jewish or not. I, he and that's like a conversation. I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to tell. It's just, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just telling you, like even the YouTube video I did, it, this is what I say on this earth is what I say on YouTube when the camera's on, I, I'm here to promote, um, discourse without discord. Like, and I mean, discord as in the verb, not the, not the web mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just discourse without discussion. Like we should be able to have this discussion or, or, you know, Kanye should be able to say that he's uh, disenfranchised with some of the um, Jewish people he's dealt with in, in the media. I mean, that that's his business. And if he wants to carry it two or three steps further, then he's going to be called out for it. And, and we all have to live with that. And he has to live with it and he has to do the apologizing, not us, but, I mean, that's kind of all it was. It's just, it's to promote the discussion. I mean, Dave Chappelle did a joke that, that pretty much highlighted the exact same thing he's saying. Nick Cannon has said the exact same thing. Jason Whitlock is saying the exact same thing. It's just that uh, generally when you're not conservative, nobody's going to call you out on it. Yeah, I'm just, you know, ever since Jews stopped being a race, I stopped caring. Okay. You know, once Whoopi Goldberg taught me that Jews aren't a race. That's right. The, um, no, she said this I wasn't see. about race. She said that the Holocaust wasn't about race. Oh, it wasn't about race. Um, I also got to go real quick before we dive into the rest of this. I got to go on the uh, Angry Man podcast who, who talked all about my book yesterday. And that was a lot of fun. So that was the first podcast I ever went on just to talk about the book. So I did get some spoilers in the book uh, on that podcast. So if you want to hear some spoilers about my book or just hear me talk all about my book that's coming out very soon, um, check out the Angry Man podcast. I yep. even did a TikTok video that's gotten a lot of views and a lot of comments. And one guy said I was lying. He said uh, that I did not tase a woman in the vagina because it's impossible because the barbs don't come straight out of the taser. So there's no way I could have shot her in the vagina on accident. And, so and I'm trying to figure out how that works. Like, so like a taser, I guess just says, whoop, vagina. Let's, let's go around it. <laughs> I'm going to take an immediate right turn. He was like, he, he was like, cause I tell the story about tasing a girl in the vagina on accident. And he says, Oh, caught you there, bud. That's not how a taser works. The barbs don't come out in a straight line. So, um, he says, I'm going to call you on this one. And the guy's name was Randy. And I was like, well, Randy, why don't we just strip you down naked, stand about four feet away from me, let me uh, aim around the vicinity of your genitalia and see see what happens. Let's just well, test this right theory out. This. I know it's a really small target, but let's try it out, bud. Let's try that out. Uh, it's not like I woke like five years ago. I decided, you know, I'm going to make up a story about accidentally tasing a crazy chick in the vagina so that one day if I have a podcast that's super successful or moderately successful and I have a book that's moderately successful, I have a story to tell. Right. You could be a little <laughs> bit more imaginative than that. It could have hit her in the taint. 
Yeah, could have hit her in the ABC, the uh, ass ball connector. So, uh, so he's saying, uh, like he's asserting that the the probes spread when they come out of the thing, which is true when you're. But they spread vertically. The they yeah, spread I mean, vertically. And yeah, okay, fine, but but so when this you're... is a vertical vagina. Um, <laughs> it's not like an Asian vagina. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that. <laughs> That's, this yeah, is a vertical vagina. The darts come out vertically. Therefore, they vertically hit the up and down side of the vagina. By the way, we could go over this guy, Randy. He probably doesn't even know like what uh, what a vagina really looks like because he's on TikTok too much. He doesn't know. Poor guy. <laughs> well, he he's never seen one. A taser. I mean, uh, I think he's been canceled in Singapore, by the way. So, Fuck, what's in Singapore? Are there are a lot of Jews in Singapore. Oh, Asians. Nope. Asians. Gotcha. I, don't even know I, I get your joke now. I'm an uncultured fuck. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're a, a bear. You're on the, the, the swim team for the bears. <laughs> or the fuck. I was a combat swimmer, just so you'll know. Do you remember that, Nancy? Okay, no. so. Uh, combat oh, swimmer. I do remember that. I do remember that guy. He was in the chat <laughs> or something. A combat swimmer in a cigar bar. Oh. And that, that's going in the second book. Because <laughs> that was intimidating. Uh. uh. Uh, I was a combat lifeguard. <laughs> I was a combat lifeguard. What the fuck are you talking about? A combat I've saved lives, bro. Right. Oh, I was a combat eater. Um, so, shall we get into it? Or Yeah, let's dive into this. Let's get real deep. Let's get real. Let's get right into the thick of it. I want to talk about confidential informants. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't know what confidential informants are. Some cops use them. Some cops don't. I, for one went through a phase where I wanted a, a, a bunch of confidential informants. I thought that that was what was going to make life easier for me. It's not. I hated it. I hated working with informants. My informants were fucking super dumb and uh, it was like babysitting. And so I quickly stopped using informants. I used informants for about a year and then I just let that kind of work its way, like work its course. And once they work their charges off or did or didn't work their charges off, I let them just kind of float away and I never went back to using informants. Other cops I work with live and die by their informants. If they didn't have a confidential informant, they would not get any work done. So we're going to talk about it. They make the world go around, to be honest. And and I, I worked and handled confidential informants uh, for probably about eight or nine years of my career as a detective. Then I came back as a supervisor for an undercover unit uh, for an additional two or three years and uh, you know, it's just they're kind of a necessary evil, um, if you will, and uh, they actually do serve a very good purpose. But let me just start by saying this, just so we're we're all on the, the same page when it comes to this. This is, again, one of those things where the cops can never do anything right here. This is a Uvalde situation, in my opinion. I'm going to hold one opinion and the rest of America may hold another um, particularly, and, and, and I'm going to humanize this, uh, Rachel's father and mother, because the way they see things and the way they see the world, the cops got their daughter killed and they held it over her head that she had a criminal charge coming and they used her as an informant. So it's not a matter of her, um, being held responsible for the, for the charges that, for the crimes that she committed and deciding for herself as a 23-year-old girl to a woman to, to work with the Tallahassee police, it was more that the Tallahassee police bungled this thing so horribly that they got their their only daughter killed. And, and I got to be honest with you, I get that. I, I completely see that. There's no amount of dope that's worth any human life. Um, and being a confidential informant is a dangerous game, as is being an undercover officer. Which brings me to the point that as un as officers, you have to treat your confidential informant as a fellow officer. You have to understand that when some when your confidential informant gets hurt, you've just you've essentially lost one of your you've lost your eyes and ears. But that's somebody that the court and the state attorney is is making you responsible for. So you you can't you can't treat that with any other oh they're just a crackhead or they're just a heroin addict or whatever they may be. But when they sign that paperwork, which is now required in the state of Florida, when they sign that paperwork, you kind of, in a sense, own the responsibility of their safety. 
and this is uh, kind of what changed all of that. Um, so we'll 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 talk about it deeply. I just want to be very clear. I, I'm not pro criminal. I'm not uh, saying that Rachel was an angel. I'm not saying that she was the devil. I'm just I'm going to lay out some facts here, and uh, I think a lot of people are going to disagree with what I say, and some people are going to agree with what I say. So um, she was uh, a. Uh, we'll talk about the players here. Uh, Irv Hoffman is a, a local attorney to, to the Tampa area. He's in Palm Harbor, Florida, I believe. And uh, he is the father of Rachel. And her mother, Margie Weiss, has gone on to do a lot of um, not-for-profit work. I think she has some type of foundation that is going around the country convincing college kids to think twice or not to work with the police whatsoever if they ever find themselves in, in the position that Rachel found herself. She ever do like a thing about like, uh, like I don't know, like, teaching your daughter not to be a criminal well that's we're... that's why i say this is a very sticky situation i mean I'll, I'll her, do we know are we allowed to know her charges yet before we, yeah, get we know her, we we know her charges i'll get to that daniello bradshaw is uh was 23 years old at the time he's the one of the two co-conspirators that ended up murdering rachel hoffman he received a life uh life prison sentence for um her murder, and then 15 years for armed robbery and 15 years for the gun charge, which we'll get into. And then Andrea Jabbar Green is the guy on the right. I couldn't find his custody status. Um, I'm assuming he's still in prison, but he was also sentenced to life in prison. Um, so here's what happened. Guy looks on, like DMX. Like, yeah, he well, he's he shot rest like soul. Yeah, right. Stop, drop. Stop. <laughs> This is how that's the only lyric you know from that song. Is no, I just I like to do it because then you have to finish it. Like oh, cop, uh, cop, shut him down. Open up, better boo. Yeah, okay, wow. okay. We're gonna so, get canceled. Um, that was racist because we fucked up a DMX song. Right. February twenty second of two thousand seven. Rachel was in a vehicle. She was stopped by the Tallahassee Police Department, and on her possession, in her possession, was twenty five grams of pot. Okay. Now, we fast forward to 2022, and pot's no longer that big of a deal, okay? In right. 2007, it was a felony. Anything over 20 grams in the state of Florida was a felony. It's beyond personal use. So if 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 you were 20 grams or under, chances are you probably would have just got a, a release on recognizance. You would have just been cut loose and, and on your way and blah, blah, blah. Take your fingerprint and your photograph. She had more than that. She had a felony amount of weed, which indicates that she was doing something more with the weed than just smoking it. And this was confirmed by some of her friends. She was, she was basically just the party girl, the good time. Um, you could see, you could see she's a very attractive young lady. She loved music. She loved going to the music festivals. And she, um, the way I, I would say that this, this is her booking photo from that day. You could see she's very upset and remorseful, but um, she had just, she is, was in the process of finishing up at Florida state. She was going to, she had graduated in between these two arrests or what the second one wasn't actually an arrest, but she had graduated and she was moving on to like a culinary school in Arizona when, when she was murdered. But the first arrest was for 25 grams of pot. And essentially what happened is she went to a diversion court. They went, they took her to, or they allowed her, uh, the state allowed her to do drug diversion, which is a, a, um, a court that, that just takes into account your previous criminal history. Uh, it takes other mitigating factors in like rehabilitation and all this other stuff. And on a promise that you're not going to commit any other offenses, you're not even on probation essentially, but if you violate the terms of the, um, the intervention program, they can certainly, you know, uh, they can try you for the crime, basically. It's just basically putting the charge on hold for a certain amount of time. And if you complete the program, then the charge goes away. There's no adjudication. There's no record of it even existing. It's pre-trial intervention. So she was on this form of pre-trial inter intervention. And as somebody who is trained by, by, and I'm not saying this like, um, to break my arm to pat myself on the back, I've been through two um, DEA courses, two uh, two two week long DEA courses, eighty hour courses. So I have an advanced knowledge in informant handling. Um, so when something like that happens, when you're about to handle an informant, you have to make sure that you 
know what their criminal history is because you're not going to be able to use them as a witness in your case if their criminal history is horrible. Plus, you don't want violent people, you know, being in your charge. And um, you're also supposed to check to make sure that they're not in any kind of probationary status. And I believe the Tallahassee Police Department may have done that, um, but she wasn't in a probationary status. She was in a pretrial status. Their understanding was if she was on probation, they probably couldn't use her without the permission of the court and the permission of the state attorney. However, if she's in this pretrial intervention, she's just in a drug program well, one of the conditions is you don't go around drug dealers and you don't go around drug users and such. So whether they knew at the time, I, I don't know. But eventually what happened was in April of 2008, somebody submitted a tip to the Tallahassee Police Department. They ended up doing a search warrant at Rachel's uh, apartment or condominium. They found over a quarter pound of weed in there. And they also found some ecstasy and some prescription pills. All right. So that's where I was just about to say, oh, my God. Okay. So that's exactly what I was about to say. Like some people in the chat talk about, oh, it's just, you know, what cartel does she work for? It's 25 grand. People who sell drugs make a conscious decision to break the law. Yeah. And therefore, they don't care about the law. So they're never, ever just selling weed. No, it, Maybe it starts out with they're just selling weed. They do not just sell weed. They oh, they sell ecstasy. They sell uh, uh, PCP. They sell uh, all sorts of stuff. And the problem with that is 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 that's what's contributing to the opioid addictions yes. and people who you know. I I love that sticker that says like kill your local drug dealer or what your local heroin dealer. The thing is, is though that same person would be like, oh, well, not the weed dealer, not the weed dealer. Your weed dealer is the heroin dealer. I've never I've never done a search warrant on a house for weed that I didn't find shrooms, ecstasy, of uh, you know, um heroin, paraphernalia. It's always that because they don't get into that life and just say like, Hey, I want to be a good drug dealer. No, yeah. it's like a beer that chooses to sell drugs chooses to live a life of crime and they they'll do anything. They'll sell guns. To people who will then go out and murder somebody else. So it's not just like, oh, she's just selling like little weed on the side. No, it, it's never just that. To, to the user, that may be, right? And, and okay, yeah, they're not part of a cartel. If you just use a little weed on a daily basis, who cares? Blah, blah, blah. But that's not what's happening here. She's Somebody sells the weed to the user. And, and let's reframe this. Let's make sure we understand this was 2007, 2008. Things were a lot different. They, they weren't fast and loose with the marijuana. And I could tell you also, um, we had a, a, a homicide detective that under the direction of one of our colonels put together a presentation of his most gruesome homicides to show to the, the drug, you know, to, to the nar narcs, basically to the narcotics mm -hmm. detectives in it was he highlighted eight of his most gruesome homicides and all eight of them were marijuana deals. It, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not like the, you know, like, you know, Tony Montana or, you know, like it's not, it's not like it's in TV, like marijuana, especially back then when you're dealing with 25 pounds at a time or whatever, it's bloody. And it would come up from Mexico. It would come up from the Rio Grande Valley, Valley area and, and all that. It, it's not. So on the streets, a, a majority of those, I won't say a majority. A lot of the killings over dope deals were simple marijuana deals. So, yeah, I get uh, what cartel or it's just weed. And I understand that, you know, it gives people the munchies. And yeah, I get all that. Uh, yeah, I but, mean, I, I, one of the worst murders I worked was on Thanksgiving morning and it was over one pound of weed uh, yeah. where the Only guy brought the money. They didn't bring the weed and they fucking shot him and they hit him in the femoral artery. And this motherfucker's jeans when he got one, when, when it was done and over with, I think his jeans weighed 25 pounds. That, that much blood had emptied. And it was sad. I mean, he knew he was dying and he knew it was just a matter of time. There's, he knew there's nothing we could do for it. It was, you know, in my eyes, it's a slow, painful death because, you know, it took about four, okay, four to yeah. seven minutes of him just, you know, and nothing that anybody could do to stop that. And he was scared and it was Thanksgiving and all he wanted to do was, you know, he was in town visiting grandma. And he was there to buy some weed. I don't know why he was buying a whole pound. Um, yeah. But these teenagers shot him over the money because they didn't have a pound of weed. You're probably in and out of consciousness, too, when you're bleeding out like that. And 
But but you know what? That's uh, again, that's a conscious decision to to choose to to sell weed. I mean, just the the way I would characterize what Rachel did because I I've seen um, you know 2020 or Dateline some of her friends talking that she, she didn't want to put any of her other friends at risk. So she was such like a fun loving kind of you know like she was the she was the Pied Piper. Like she would go do the dangerous dope deals. She would get the quarter pound or whatever, and she'd sell weed out of her apartment just so everybody would be hooked up. I mean, I get that in a sense, but you're still making a conscious decision to violate the law. And, and you don't like that's where the responsibility ends somehow. Like it my all. My dad is a lawyer. I can do whatever I want. I go to Florida State University. My dad's a lawyer. Kind of in a sense. And then but but there's also another aspect to this. And the, the other aspect to this is that when they when they found that stuff in her apartment, um they never gave her the opportunity to talk to a lawyer and they, they basically laid out, they basically told her the truth. Look, this is, it's, it's classic CI recruitment. Look, you can go to prison for this. Like, I'm not saying you will, I don't make those decisions. The state attorney makes those decisions. The judge makes those decisions. You could go to prison for this because you're already on some type of diversion program. One, two, I found you with a felony amount of weed. And three, I found you with a felony amount of ecstasy. Any amount of ecstasy is a felony amount. And four, we have information that you're dealing dope out of this apartment. So, you know, you can work off your charges, yes. Or you can just go face the music. It's up to you. You do what you want to do. And the individual has the opportunity to make that decision. I think where a lot of um, blame by the family is that they, they twisted her arm so bad into thinking that she had to. And it's simply not true. She she even called her mother and told her what was happening. She, she by the way, frequently bragged to her friends that she was a narc, that she was working with the cops. And she called her mother and said that she was getting ready to go do this big dope deal on the on behalf of the cops. And her mother was like, don't, don't you dare. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. And she's like, mom, I just want to do this because I want to get all of this put behind me. So she's making a conscious decision. A lot of people call her, you know, like, you know, a poor baby, a poor innocent child. She was 23 years old and she should be making her own decisions at that point. She made a bad choice to sell dope. She made a choice to, to assist in uh, police um, uh, catching other dope dealers. Now, where it kind of goes wrong is the pressure they put on her, perhaps. I wasn't there for the conversation. And also, they got her in over her head. I don't know how this dope deal went down. I don't know how she ended up knowing these two guys that she was going to buy the dope from. But what she was getting ready to buy was two ounces of crack, I believe. If not, it was two ounces of Coke. Um, it was like 1,500 ecstasy, and it was a gun. Okay, so there was DEA involved in this deal. When on the day of the briefing, so this uh, sounds like something to me because I, I don't know, like in your past experience with working with uh, CIs. Um, by the way, let me clear one thing up in the chats again, guys. This is 2007, 2006. It's not now. I know some people are like med card holders and have fucked tons of weed legally at their their thing right now. This is 2007 before all that shit. So, yeah. like, we're going back on 2007. Let's not forget that. But working with CIs, I know in my experience. I always did what they said that they could get. So if they're like, if I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal that DA has given us. You're going to give us five felony arrests, yeah. you know, in 90 days, and then this will go away. And they might come to you and say, look, I can get you five felony arrests today. I can buy a gun from this dude. I can do this from that guy. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, let's just rein it back a little bit. Let's slow it down. We don't need to, but you know, I have oftentimes been like, hey, let's go ahead and buy, let's try to get 20 grams of of crack. You know, like, let's get 20 grams. And they'll be like, dude, I can get you, like, dude, I can get you a gun and the crack. You know what I mean? They're the ones that are like, I can get you this. I know this guy. I know so-and-so, and he can get us an AK-47. And you're like, oh, fuck, dude. All I wanted was, like, you know, 10 crack rocks. Because yeah. that's a felony, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you're the one that offering to me. So I wonder if she was not like, oh, guys, listen, like you want some fucking like the dude I buy drugs from. OK, I, I, I truly that's a lawyer. Answer. 
Yeah, I truly. I truly don't know the answer to that. Um, I do think it's a little bit odd that they would put her in front of. That's two what people. I'm saying. I don't think it's reasonable. I don't think the cops sat down with this nice, beautiful young lady and said, like, I okay, want a gun. Gonna, yeah. I want like I want the mother load on your first. You, you know, like you don't look at this girl and be like, yeah, she knows the game. She can talk the lingo. She can do that. I bet you more. I'm I'm almost positive and this is why she's bragging to her mom this is a, a game of clout for her she's like sitting in front of these cops and she's like yo yo or, or maybe it's a, it, like listen it's this is all supposition at this point but maybe it's just her desperation like look i'm gonna hit i'm gonna go for the grand slam here because i want to get this shit out of my life i want i want to get away from all of this i'm gonna give them a big case and, and just so the general public knows or just you know even some of the cops may not know most agreements with a confidential informant when it comes to a felony case, especially a trafficking level case, are they're in writing like what they're going to provide for law enforcement. And it's an agreement between their attorney and the state attorney and the detective or the or, or the law enforcement agency. That happens quite frequently. You're going to need to get the guidance and permission from the state attorney's office. Here, where I worked, it was it was a very common practice to find a felony drug charge on somebody. In other words, you do a hand-to-hand or, or we serve a search warrant, we find a felony amount of dope. We can keep them out of jail for that felony charge if they're going to work off that charge, but with the permission of the state attorney's office or the mm-hmm. DA's office. You don't just arbitrarily say, okay, well, I'm going to hold these charges over your head until you can provide me with enough. There's more procedure to it than that, and I don't know that that was followed here. And I think if it were followed here, perhaps she, she may. And do they not do like warm up buys, or maybe this is because I was a con- I had confidential informants after this yeah. incident. Maybe the laws had changed. But like for us, like we do, like warm up buys, like test. Yeah, warm up buys are generally for uh, to establish credibility. By the way, because yeah, when you exactly, write a exactly. warrant, you're you're going to need to say that my informant is familiar with drugs. My informant is uh, familiar with where they're being sold, and you know knows what it looks like. And I can. You know, I can, if you, I can refer back to these two cases, two throwaway cases that we did where we sent, where they directed us to buy uh, where they were going to buy the drugs from. We, you know, we monitored the whole thing and they came out and sure enough, they had drugs. I mean, that's that's the purpose of a, a warm up buy. Like you're saying, you're you're 100 percent right. I mean, th- th- she has to be able to establish credibility. So I, I don't know what happened up, leading up to that. I don't know how many deals she did before that with him. I can tell right. you that she that that. The officer was in her phone as Pooh Bear. So oh, that's I mean, normal. She, right. But I mean, she had interaction with this guy. It wasn't, I, I really don't think like they arrested her that day. And then that night, you know, she's setting up a, a 1500 right. ecstasy pill. Yeah. Because yeah. like we have lots of meetings. Like, I mean, I've taken my confidential informants out to lunch and shit. Right. Oh yeah. You know, definitely. it's like, we'll, we'll meet at, we'll meet at Chick-fil-A in a different, uh, you know, like as long as we're within like two miles of our jurisdiction, we could go to these other restaurants. And we, you know, as a cop, we always ate outside of the, uh, out of where you work anyway. And so I would be like, yo, let's like, there's no chance of anybody getting caught of us together. Let's just go like, we'll have Chick-fil-A. We'll talk about everything. Like we'll talk about who do you know? Because I, you know, when you're working with a confidential informant, these are snitches and snitches get riches. And, and by the way, like I know that the movies say like stitch and rap and all this shit. Dude, everybody I've ever arrested has either asked to be a confidential informant or has yeah. become a confidential informant. Um, they know that snitches get riches. If, if you if you're if you're 25 years old and you're running with a gang and you're on the street, it's because you've snitched probably since you were 15. <laughs> it's like that's the only reason you're not in prison. You, yeah, for a long you've, time. you've cooperated at some point generally, or you've right. been charged somehow. But right, so I would go to these. You know, I would take the confidential informant to Starbucks or to McDonald's or Chick Fil A or whatever. And and because you want to learn their credibility, you, you want to learn their their ticks and their especially if you got a dude that's buying meth, because most likely he's buying meth because he does meth or she yeah. does meth. So yeah. you need to like sit down with them and figure out what kind of what 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 are they when they're not on meth versus what are they when they're on meth. So that yeah. when you bring them in, if you can tell that they've tweaked or, or they're on something, you can be like, eh, this is not how you acted with me at Chick-fil-A the other day. You're bugging and we're not going to do this op because. You're obviously on some shit right now. You got to, it's a process. It's not just like a, Hey, let's go buy meth today. Here's some money that, you know what I mean? It's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, man. There's a ton that goes into it. And and I'll tell you, 
if you're living and dying by informants, like we said, right at the top, and that's what I did for several years. And then again, as a supervisor, I, you know, I had to supervise people that were handling informants. You're at their beck and call, but you're also, you're only as credible as their, their information is only as credible as your willingness to verify the information. So yeah. you've got to keep, you have to keep type control over your informants. I mean, you, you basically, it's basically an abusive relationship. You're a handler for another adult human being. And, you know, they, they battle with the, uh, with the demons of uh, turning in their friends or turning in their own family members sometimes. But, hey, this is your choice, not mine. I mean, like, you don't have to be an informant here. Um, Somebody this- in the chat says that meth heads love guys. There's a lot of talk about me taking them to, to, to Chick-fil-A because criminals don't go to Chick-fil-A. If I took my confidential informant to Bojangles or uh, Popeye's or churches or any other chicken joint, there's a chance that they're going to be around other gang members, gang folks, uh, Crips, Bloods, all those guys. They don't fucking go to, to Chick-fil-A. Bloods. De- I mean, uh, Crips definitely don't because Chick-fil-A's colors are red. That's right. Uh, and Bloods don't go oh, because they get to see. So, yeah. so, so it's a nice, safe place to take to take your informants. <laughs> right. It's generally Republicans anyway. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. I mean, so she, in, in, at the briefing, I've got it written down here. Um, I just don't see where, but at any rate, my first confidential have- informant, while you look at that, while you go over your notes really quick, my first confidential informant that I ever signed up, I almost debated saying his name so you guys could go look up the story, but then I felt maybe I better not, um, because his then his family would know he was a CI, but uh, my first CI was, and it's a lot of work to get a CI signed up. Like you got to go to a DA. You, one, you got to go to your sergeant. Then your sergeant's got to go to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant's usually going to go to a captain. Then you're going to go to the DA, and this is all taken. This takes like sometimes weeks. Then that DA is going to go to a judge or whatever it is, and they're finally going to get back to you. And you got to fill out the paperwork. You probably filled it out wrong. You're going to refill it out because it's your first time. Anyway, it was a lot of work. And I got it all fine and done, and we, we were getting all ready to go. And homeboy went out, like, as soon as he gets signed up, like, literally that afternoon, he signed up as an informant. And he and I had a meeting that afternoon about how he was going to work this, where we were going to work it, what his schedule was. You know, I had to get a burner phone so that, you know, we're talking on a burner phone together, not my personal phone. You know, setting up our boundaries, doing all these things. That evening, homeboy went out to a gay club. Uh, I think he was selling crack. I, I really do. I think my informant was actually selling crack at the gay club. But anyway, he and he was a black dude, and he approaches some white guy, and I guess he tries to sell some white, some some crack to the white guy, and for maybe the white guy uh, doesn't buy the crack. Something goes down or he doesn't have the money or whatever. And I think my informant called him uh, the F word, the faggot word. And I think the gay dude didn't like that part. And anyway, the gay guy stabs my informant in the stomach. And my informant dies uh, before the cops even get on scene. Just drops right there. One stab, one poke, done, dead. But. And Never just to, to clarify, he, he wasn't under anybody's direction to go to no, that club. He wasn't working for me yet. I mean, right. he had just gotten right. signed up, but we weren't working. Yeah. Like, he would just yeah. went to the club and was selling crack. I think. Now, there's some other sides of that story. Um, you know, some people say that this guy was trying to buy crack or trying to rob my guy. Either way, my guy was dabbling in some nefarious activity hanging outside of a club, and he got stabbed, and he died for it, and it sucked. And I never got to use him. I did all that work for nothing. Right. Damn. Poor you. At least he got a good lunch before he went. <laughs> right at Chick-fil-A. Uh, cookies and cream milkshake. So what uh, the, 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 the briefing for this thing, and, and Eric, you've probably been involved in more than one of these. The briefing for this, what we would probably, we term this a buy-bust operation, which is essentially uh, the, the, the informant's going to meet with the people, the, the people that are selling whatever they're selling, turn over some cash. They're going to give the dope. As soon as they give the dope, it's being monitored via like a bug of some sort, some type of uh, transmitter that's on the person or it's in the vehicle or it's, or it's on the person of the, uh, of the informant. And as soon as that bus signal is given, like everyone just swoops in and a, a safe arrest is made. Sometimes we arrest the informant. I hope I'm not giving away too much here. 
Yeah, yeah. a lot of times so we let a, we let um, we usually now when I a, a big case that I worked with my informant, the biggest case, I we took out indictments like three months later. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, that way, that that way we wouldn't burn the informant any way, shape, or form. They would yeah. do the deal, we'd wait, and then put out an indictment. Listen, this is every informant I ever worked with promised me the world first of all, and second yes. of all, they they swore that they were going to be killed, and and that was that's it's always a mechanism for you to think. Uh, it does make you think, at least you know, yeah, it is a dangerous game for them, but it also is a mechanism for them to to dramatic over dramatize what they do. I mean, they haven't been killed to this point, obviously doing dope. What's the difference if I'm involved or not? But I always said the same thing every single time. Informants are my bread and butter. And if I get informants killed, don't you think I would lose credibility pretty quickly and I wouldn't be able to recruit any other informants. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I had somebody else in their circle um, as an informant. So, I mean, like you don't know who's an informant and who's not, and uh, uh, that wouldn't change at this point either. Like it's called confidential informant for a reason. There are different levels of that. There are cooperating witnesses or cooperating defendants or, uh, people that are going to testify. Most of the time your confidential informants are, uh, on the block to testify at some point, depending on the level of the case. Um, and if, if somebody demands to know who the confidential informant is like the defense attorney or, or whoever, um, and the case isn't significant enough, the state will just pitch the case for you. They'll just, they'll just throw it in the trash, uh, so as to keep the identity of the informant, um, clear, but th there's really just generally, you, you really have to get to the motivation of why somebody is going to be an informant. One would be for monetary benefits. Some guys just get paid to do that. Uh, another, and probably the biggest one is they, they, um, they're working off their charges. They, they've been, mm -hmm. they're hemmed up and they've made a promise to get you the bigger fish and it's all in writing and it's all on the up and up. So that's, that's that. And then the third is generally like, uh, somebody who's exacting revenge, say, you know, got my, my, the, that was my, my best informant that I had. It was a female and her boyfriend or husband, I think it was her boyfriend got arrested. Uh, and he was a gang member and he got arrested. And I think it was through a confidential format. And I think she was like, I'm going to fucking rat on everybody. And I don't know which confidence, I don't know who's the snitch in the gang, but they fucked my boyfriend over and he's in prison now. I'm going all in. I want all these dudes to go. And she would just feed us like this guy's buying food stamps. This guy's selling food stamps. This guy's doing this. This guy, this guy, this, this guy's running this store selling Lucy's, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she was just, I mean, she always had something and she loved snitching and she got rich, dude. I mean, I, I pay her 400 bucks for like 30 minutes of work. To, uh, to you young officers out there, if you're looking to get into narcotics or, or managing informants, if you get a scorned woman, yeah. run. Do not walk and run and interview that person. Get all the information you can and start using them as quickly as you can. Hell has because no they will they will burn the house down. Yeah. They will make you you will be the chief of police within by next Tuesday <laughs> uh, when you get a when you get a pissed off. Uh, all right. Speaking uh, of that, and before we dive into to Rachel's, uh, the outcome of Rachel's things, we got a couple of sponsors that keep this fucking show moving forward. Our biggest one being ghost bed right now, 40% off matches and adjustable base or 30% off a mattress. Uh, plus two free pillows. Use that code Wolfpack, baby. Uh, uh, I just said, uh, a lot. Um, ghost has been with us since day one. They've been a day one supporter. They love law enforcement. They love military, they love veterans, and they love us, and they've supported us, and so we want to support the people who support us. One of our favorite things about GhostBed is that they're made in the good old, help me out here, USA, 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 we're going to have to work on that as usual, 0% down, 0% financing, get that adjustable base, baby, 15 modes, got that zero gravity, they're way less than the competitors, uh, you can bundle it all, so if you want it all, I want it all. I want, I want it, it all. And I, I want, want it, it now. Like 20 pounds of weed, a gun, and six bags of Coke all in my first 
bust. Um, right now, you can get that. Uh, you can bundle it all together. You can get the cooling sheets, the pillows, all the things, and you get the best bang for your buck. Right now, GhostBed is offering that flash sale of 40% off the GhostBed bundles where you get a match an adjustable base. Again, if that promo code's not working, if it's still only giving you 35%, drop us in that customer survey. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Uh, and that's if you have uh, GhostBed. Uh, that's if you have Lasso Lopez credit. You can get that 0% down, 0% financing. It is the season to sleep so good. It's scary. All right, go ahead. Let's wrap it up. Let's take them, let's take them to the finish line. Tell me about Rachel. Tell me about uh, okay, her device. So she was supposed to go to Forest Meadow Park in, Ta- in the Tallahassee area. And it's uh, there's a reason why she was instructed to do that. And one of the speeches that you give to any informant is, I don't care what you're doing or what you're saying, you need to listen to me and you need to do everything I need, I, I'm telling you to do. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it's for your safety. Two, it's for our safety. And three, because we don't want to, we don't want you to enter into a territory of uh, entrapment or something. So legalities are something that, that are the officer's responsibility. So they directed her to go to Forest Meadow Park. They had it well covered. Um, all of a sudden, these guys called up and said, hey, they moved the deal. And um, it's a cardinal sin. You just, look, if you've got dope and I've got money, you can come to me. I mean, like, I'm not going to chase you all over God's green earth. Well, she did not follow the instructions. She, and, and now, this is where the debate is a little bit. Because she did call the the detective and say look they want me to meet in this down this dead end street here and he's like don't go down there there was somebody from a, a da a dea agent who was following her so she was covered in an undercover vehicle she was covered to that point but when she turned off he kept going assuming that somebody was going to pick up the surveillance behind him i could tell you um with the exception of dea generally federal agents aren't that good at surveillance Anywho, fucking trash. So, um, so they, uh, they lost sight of her and he was telling her on the phone, don't, don't do that. Get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. She hung up the phone. It's more than likely because she was rolling up on them. And now she's got to contend with who are you talking to? You know, it's, it's just a sad case all the way around. And, and on top of that, um, what's the one commonality about a gun deal when you're going to buy a gun off of a bad guy, there's a gun involved. <laughs> and, uh, they used, unfortunately that very same gun to, um, to murder her. They, they shot her several times because they knew she had the cash on her. She had $13,000 in cash. So she was in over her head in a sense that she didn't buy this type of drug or this quantity or this amount. She wasn't buying guns. I don't know how they arrived at this deal, but obviously there was some federal involvement. So perhaps it was a task force case or they were maybe targeting these guys in a, in a sense. And she knew a friend of a friend or whatever, but she had 13 K in cash and they got it from her. They had just lost their jobs uh, working at a tent shop slash car wash. And so they decided to murder Rachel and uh, they, they showed up in a stolen BMW. They stuffed her, Uh, body in the trunk and put it under a camouflage blanket and had her clothes neatly folded in there and then they got stuck in a ditch a passerby came by to to help them out and um he saw the he saw the blanket and he saw the folded clothes and he was like i got a bad feeling about this and he hightailed it out of there uh and then a couple days later uh her body was recovered in that same trunk apparently so uh, may 7th of 2008 was the day of her death May 7th of 2009, Rachel's law was passed. So that's pretty quick work in the Florida legislature. That's how important this was. And what what Rachel's law did was it laid out uh, certain terms like you have to inform the, kind of like a Miranda, you have to inform the informants that they can speak with their attorney about anything like it. It's more transparent, but it's, but it also tightened up the confidentiality, like only one person is going to be the the handler of confidential informant files within an agency. Everybody that is going to handle an informant in the state of Florida has to go through uh, a training of that agency's policy. Every agency that's going to handle an informant has to have a policy. And just a lot of things changed from that. So um, 
I, you know, I don't want to say change from for for the better because this was this came out of a tragedy, but um, you know, it's it certainly tightened uh, it tightened a lot of things up in how uh, informants are handled to make it safer. Now, the, the debate always is is you know is this police this this should have been cop work police work. I, I got to be honest with you, maybe not in this case. Most of the time just a random undercover cop is not going to be able to work their way into an organization like that. Um, so it's going to take somebody from the inside the organization. Like you're talking about with the gangs, it's somebody they trust. You're whoever that informant was, was not going to be able to bring you in there. And then you cut the informant out. Now all of a sudden you as the undercover are buying dope and guns from them. And it's, it's a rarity. You need somebody with somebody that they trust that can introduce you. So um, there's a lot of talk about, isn't this the, the cop's job to be the undercover? Yeah, it is. It's also the informants. Uh, it, we also use informants for intelligence gathering and intelligence information and an introduction into an organization. But there are times you're never going to be able to get into an organization. So you just have to live and die by what this informant does and pray that they're following your instructions. So that's that. She was uh, on, on her 25th birthday. They were both convicted of of murder uh, and sentenced to life in prison. I, I don't know if, um, I, I believe they're both, I, I know one of them for sure, um, uh, Bradshaw is still in Florida State Prison for the murder. I can't find the custody status of Green. I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be pretty big news if he were let out for any reason. He's a confidential informant right now. Yeah, the <laughs> possibly. The, uh, the officer, Ryan Pender, um, uh, who is a friend of a friend, believe it or not, um, was fired from the Tallahassee Police Department and uh, through uh, arbitration got his job back. And he, he yeah, was I, don't, I don't feel like it's your fault. when you, I mean, I guess it's your responsibility, but it's like, I mean, it was, at, some, at some point she's got to take some kind of ownership for this. I, I think that's where I say that this is a, a straight like Uvalde line, like, they're only going to see it one way and it's because of the emotion and it's understandable. They lost a daughter. They lost their only daughter and they, there is no other explanation than the cops are inept. Whereas the cops who do this on a daily basis or know that there's a risk associated with this. And also if you're not out committing crimes, you wouldn't be put in that position anyway. And, and that's, that's kind of where we sit on that. That's the story of, uh, of Rachel. Did your um did your confidential informants have nicknames? Well, yeah, yeah, code names. Actually, actually, part of the <laughs> part we of the law was that you could never refer to them by name. So, I mean, you know, we right. called one shirtless boy. We called, you know what I mean? Like, so our my, one of one of our favorites. Um, I don't know where he's at now, but he was dead man walking. <laughs> Because the dude would not fucking stop getting himself. And, like, I mean, dude, he was burying some high-level shit. And we were like, dude, you you realize that, like, out of all of our informants, like, you're going to be murdered for this? Like, there's no way you're not. I mean, because he would tell people. Uh, he wouldn't shut his fucking mouth. So we called him Dead Man Walking all the time. We're like, hey, where's Dead Man Walking? What's he doing these days? Can he do this for us? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and we constantly had to like work with him. He he had to move a whole bunch of times. He had to get out of the city for a while. It's like the dude just. I I, I wonder if he where he's at these days. I wonder if he's dead or. That's not necessarily up. a vote of confidence though from the officer that's handling you as an informant. Like you're gonna die. You're gonna no, die. dude. He put himself out there. Like he like yeah. I think like he like he was. He, you know, like I said, it was a thing of clout for him. Like he took pride in snitching. He enjoyed the snitch. He enjoyed the tattletaling. He enjoyed boasting about it, bragging about it. And, you know, um, you know, his Facebook stuff would be like, yeah, you don't know what's coming to you, but it better watch out. Some thick shit's going down. And you're like, <laughs> that's such a on, dangerous man. thing for the officers involved. Come let alone, on, dude, what are you doing, man? So that's why we called him Dead Man Walking because like. And then he'd be like, well, no, it doesn't have anything to do with it. Didn't have to do it. And we're like, really? Really? Because literally you did a buy and then like fucking 10 minutes later, that's what pops up on your Facebook. You know, like, but you don't have no idea what's coming up. Blah, 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 blah. I'm burning this whole thing down. I'm, I'm busting you wide open. It's like. Hydra brings up a great point. There's always a pookie involved. There's always a, uh, there's always a red, like mm -hmm. they call him red. Sweezy. 
there's a sleazy is that what you said sweezy sleazy sweezy yeah. there's a, there's always a kid named jit there's always a chino if you're dealing with uh hispanic informants because he, he kind of looks chinese so they call him chino yeah um but sarah wants to know what your informant nickname would be tansy uh mine yeah if i was a confidential informant yeah, yeah. If, um crush oh i like that yeah i the think i like turtle. that hey crush. hey spinetti get hey, crush hey, on spinetti hey spinetti get uh what's the guy from fast times of Ridgemont high spicoli spicoli that would that might be my name too spicoli or mike demote mm-hmm. yeah clam sauce um, uh yeah like i said i mean i enjoy, you know confidential informants are a thing it's just a lot of work and, and and it takes up a lot of time so if you're a street level cop it might not be um you know you get yourself one or two get that experience into your belt but you got to remember that when you're working with confidential informants you're not taking calls right. you're not you're not grinding you're not doing a detective's job and uh you know that might piss off your coworkers. You know, you just keep one in the in the. You keep keep a couple confidential informants, one or two, in the bag when you need them for detectives. You know, you get that shooting, you get that something that's gone down. The detective needs some help. You'd be like, "Yo, I've got an informant on that particular street. Might be able to help us out." Um, and 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 use it that. But um, if you're going down the route of I want to be a cop that uses confidential informants, just know that it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of paperwork. A lot of report writing. Um, it's a lot of travel because you got to go and you got to pick up the microphones. You got to learn how to use the microphones. You got to take a class on that. You know, sometimes it's online. Sometimes it's going down to the defective, detective division and getting a crash course on it real quick. Um, you're going to have to go with your Tayru unit to maybe GPS a car. Um, and so it, it's not just something that's like, hey, this guy's going to go buy some weed. Let me get a SWAT team together. Let me get a couple of takedown units. It's, like it's, that. That's not how that works at all. So. Uh, a lot of time. I love the breakdown. Thank you, Drew Breezy. If you haven't already, go and look at Drew's new YouTube video. It's up right now. It's all about the Kanye West anti-Semitic uh, re- uh, debate that's going on right now. I think it was a really great discussion. It's it's you know 15 minute podcast form on YouTube. George Floyd and how how all of this kind of ties into the George Floyd thing and the Candace Owens documentary. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're I fine. Know you know. Yeah. If you want to come and see us in Cincinnati with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, I am Pitts. One more and I'm out of here. Podcast, please DM us. Go and buy those books, the I am Pitts book and the Crisis uh, in Command book, please. And uh, go in and follow those guys on Instagram. One more and I'm out of here. Podcast, you can follow them on, on uh, the old Instagram. Follow Drew Breezy, Eric Tanzi official. Have a happy and safe Halloween. My kids are going as confidential informants and they're going to go and get me lots of candy deals all weekend <laughs> long. So, uh, if you're, uh, if you're a last call member, if you, if you watch the last call, I mean, if you listen to the last call episode, which gives cops something else to talk about other than dead babies and domestic violence, it's on the failure to stop podcast network, go to failure to stop. Just look for last call. It's every Thursday. Um, but, Go to Last Call on Instagram and send me all of your pictures from your Halloween stuff. It's a very family-oriented Instagram page. We promote and doing having quality time off as a first responder, doing things that have nothing to do with the job, that really helps with your mental health, that really helps with your family. Everybody can benefit from this kind of thing. I'm a really big advocate of that show, Last Call on Failure to Stop, because cops need something else to talk about at the weekend barbecue other than dead babies and domestic violence. So um, hammer the like button. We love you guys. Guns up, giddy up. Thank you, Drew Breezy, for helping us out again this weekend. Until next time, guys. Guns up. Giddy up.